I have these jokes, they're on my phone, and if you call or text me during the message, I promise you next Sunday I will embarrass you. I, I really will. Uh, but these, these are some funny things about moms that I saw I want to share with you. Uh, be careful about waking up your mother. Some of you are going to be able to relate to this. There are at least seven species of animals who eat their young. Your mother may be one of them. <laughs> mother, noun, a person who does the work of 20 for free. Would you agree with that? I love this when this guy asked his wife, what can I get you for Mother's Day? And she said, load the kids up in a car, drive 12 hours east, and then turn around and come back. <laughs> you don't get that. I'll explain it later. Milton Burl, he said, if evolution was really true, how come a mother only has two hands? That's true too, isn't it? I love this, um, P.J. O'Rourke. Everyone wants to save the world. Have you noticed that? We want to save the world, but nobody wants to help mama with the dishes. <laughs> that, that's true, isn't it? God couldn't be everywhere, so he made mothers. That's an old Yiddish proverb. God is everywhere, but mothers sure help, don't they? Moms and ladies, we appreciate you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 31. In my years here, I have preached three different, this will be the third sermon from this passage. They're all different if you're wondering if I'm getting lazy. But I want to talk about the origin uh, of this great lady and person we see uh, laid out in this passage. The word origin means basis or it's the source. I'm going to read, and you read on your Bibles or along on the screen, starting in verse 10 through 29 of this extraordinary Mother, lady, and person. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. She will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. This lady's a great wife. She finds wool and flax, and she busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. Isn't that a great mama? And plan the day's work for her servant girl. She works hard. Verse 16 through 18, continue that worker. She goes to inspect the field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread and her fingers twisting fiber. Verse 20, she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She's benevolent. She's a great mom in verse 21 and 22. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. She's dignified. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with other civic leaders. Her husband's respected because of the kind of person she is. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. In verse 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise. She gives instructions and kindness. She's dignified. She's smart, intelligent. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children... Stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. You know, 
as I read over that again this week multiple times, it's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, if you're a woman and you look at that, you're compared to that, there's no way anybody can naturally live up to that. And I don't think that passage is just for women or mothers. I think it's for all of us, the high standard of character, integrity, a hard worker, a great spouse if you're married, great husband, great wife, great parent if you have kids. You have quality about all that you do. How in the world do you have those qualities? Goodness gracious. I read an article this week. It was talking about the American woman of today, and I think it could be uh, a men too, about how the women, they're overworked. A lot of women have to work outside of the house, then they have to come home and take care of kids, then they have to help take care of their husband. They go to church. They're expected to do things in church. How in the world do we do it? I think this week I saw in verse 30 what I believe is the source for all of this. And that's the main thought I want to give you this morning, following God completely. That's the key. Following God completely is the key. It's the origin to being a truly great mom or a great person. How in the world do you do all those things? If you chase, and there's nothing wrong with trying to have great integrity, great wisdom, great mom, great dad, great person, hard worker, dignified, But I think, and Jesus says this in Matthew 6, I think when you drill right down to it, if you decide that you're going to be a person that's going to follow God completely, and I'm going to try to lay out to you what that means, with all your heart, I think all those other things are a fruit of what we've seen in this passage. In verse 30, it says, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman, and we could say a man, a young person who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. The word fears there is an adjective, but it comes from a a root word that's a verb. If you're taking notes, it does mean to to fear. It, It does mean to be afraid. It means to respect and to honor, but, but it's more than just a trembling fear. It's more than just, I respect you. It's talking about your relationship with God, and it's, it's saying that, that this person has a relationship with God that changes their life and affects their life every single day. It affects their character. It affects their work ethic. It affects them as a parent. It's a fear and honor and respect for God that molds and shapes your life from the inside out. It's interesting in Genesis 22, this same word for fear is used when it talks about Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Are you familiar with that rather strange story? Now, don't go home and try to sacrifice your kid today and say it's in the Bible. That's, this was a one-time event, and God didn't have him do it. It was a test. But when he was willing to sacrifice his only son, God stopped him and didn't let him do it. Here's what God said to him. I see now you fear me more than you love or respect anything else. That's what he's talking about. In Genesis 32, Jacob was getting ready to meet his brother, twin brother Esau. Jacob was a little bit of a creep in the past. And Jacob and Esau was a man's man. And Jacob was afraid Esau was going to deal with him like somebody in northern Louisiana deals with someone who's been a creep to him. And so the Bible says he's afraid. And he, he puts his family and his positions people in a way. And he kisses up to his brother by sending him a bunch of gifts because he's afraid his fear motivated him. How many of you ever saw the movie, The Legend of the Boggy Creek Monster? I want to challenge you to watch it. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. I hadn't seen it since seventh grade, so I have no idea if I'm telling you on that. That movie scared me. 
Falk, Arkansas. You know where Falk, Arkansas is? If you were going towards from Shreveport up to Texarkana, you'd see Falk. And it's, it's swampy and it's trees and it's bottoms. I go see the legend of the Boggy Creek Monster when I'm 12 years old. That's about eight years ago. And, and basically, it's a Bigfoot that's loose in this part of Arkansas based on a true story, terrorizing people, killing their hogs, killing their animals and stuff. I am petrified. I mean, I am terrified. My parents raised me, believe it or not, they really did a good job, except they let us watch scary movies. I mean, I grew up afraid of, I'm still afraid of vampires and werewolves. The, some, there's a noise outside at night. I'm sending my wife out there to check on it. I'm afraid of the dark. And so... I watch The Legend of the Boggy Creek Monster, and I'm terrified. And the, the family that I go to with their kids, they let me off. We lived in the city at this time, in a neighborhood. There's not a lot of Bigfoots roaming neighborhoods in cities. Have you ever noticed that? But my parents aren't home, and I don't have a key to the house. So I know, should have gone and gone to the backyard and just sat back there with the dog. I stood by the streetlight outside, hugging it for an hour and a half. I was, I was almost certain that the Boggy Creek Monster could be in those bushes. Nobody ever checked. He may have been. My parents came home and they thought, man, we knew he was weird, but this is really weird. He's standing out hugging a streetlight, and I couldn't tell them what happened. But I want to tell you, the fear motivated me. The fear of God, if it's right in your heart, changes your life. I'm going to give you a couple of ways you get the fear of God in your heart. Number one, you've got to be born again. You have to be born again. The fear, the fear of God in this passage is not simply intellectual. It's not just a, I respect God, you know, yeah, I better be careful because God can smite me. God smites people. It's all in the Old Testament. It's a fear of God that changes your life. Here's the problem with a lot of mamas today, a lot of dads today, a lot of church people today is we respect God, we honor God, but the fear of God and the awe of God doesn't, hadn't changed their lives. In Jesus' day, who were the most religious people? The Pharisees, they were the green berets, they were the Navy SEALs of religion. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. If you don't know what that is, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I challenge you to do that. I've got a $100 bill for anybody who can do that. I may get Clayton will throw in 100 for that, and he's pretty tight. That's gigantic. That's gigantic. They fasted twice a week. They were in the synagogue, their version of the church, all the time. Although a lot of them had heart problems, they were uber careful to obey the laws. But yet in Matthew 5, Jesus said, listen what he said. He goes, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you're going to go to hell. Wow. You know what he was saying? They have an outward look of an awe of God, but it hasn't changed their life. And the fear of God he's talking about here is something that it is supernatural. It's supernatural. I, I want to ask you this morning, have you embraced the fear of God and John chapter 3 talks about, John 3, 3, let's look at it. It says, Jesus told this Pharisee, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You were born once when you were born physically. Everybody in here has been born once. The second birth is a spiritual birth. It's a rebirth. It's a new birth. It's not a Baptist birth or a non-denominational birth or a Catholic birth or Presbyterian birth. birth Methodist. It's a spiritual birth from Jesus Christ. 
Has that happened to you? See, when that happens to you, God changes you from the inside out. And that's what needs to happen to some of us today. We need that fear of God supernaturally implanted into us. I'm I'm certainly not a medical doctor, but I think I understand a little bit. If you go to the doctor and you've got heart problems, the first thing they're going to tell you to do is lose weight, eat better, and exercise. Then, depending on the next level, they may put you on medicine. And then the next level, they're going to put you on a stress test, and they may do a heart cath. And with a heart cath, they may do stents, which is a great thing. They're opening up those arteries to get blood in there. But if that doesn't work, you know what they do? They, They open up your chest, and they do a bypass to bypass those bad arteries. And the most radical of surgeries is when they do a heart transplant. You know what a heart transplant is? is they, they say, your old heart is not working. And they take it out and they put a new heart, another heart in you. You see, that's what, that's what coming to know God is. That's how radical it is when you come to know God. And, and when you know God in that way, that's when it's natural that fear of God, that respect of God, that, that fear of God that shapes everything you do is much more natural because it's from the inside out. But let me give you a second part of this for many of us today who are Christians. You have to choose daily for Jesus to be your Lord. And I, I put owner and boss there because we are, we are a little bit numb to the word Lord. Jesus is Lord. We say that in creeds. We say that in, in statements of faith, which is wonderful. But what does it mean to be Lord? It it means your owner. It it means owner and boss. You only have to be born again once. Thank goodness you don't have to be saved every week. Wouldn't that be uncomfortable? We'd baptize a lot of people, wouldn't we? But that'd be weird. But you only have to be born again once. Look in verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. But a woman or a man, a person who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. The word fear is not a past tense word. It's not a word who feared the Lord. It's a present and ongoing tense. It means it's a person who who has come to know God and has a fear and awe of God and who lives with that fear and that awe of God day in and day out. See, the problem with some of us this morning, we've been born again. That's awesome. That's the first step. And Jesus was on the throne of our life, but slowly and surely, we've pushed him off. We've let other things take over and be the Lord of our life. Matthew 15, 8 is a scary verse, what Jesus said to his people then. Many people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I fear God. I honor God. Listen, man, when we sing, I love to see people raise their hand, if that's you. I love to to hear amens at least twice in a sermon. I love to see enthusiasm, and that's great. But if it's not coming from here, God says it's not real. I want to ask you as a Christian, if you're a believer, well, you can tell if you're a believer, is there an ongoing lordship, ownership of God over your life? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said these famous words, if anyone would come after me, That's the entry point, that's salvation, but that's daily. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. When Peter denied Jesus, you know what he said? I don't know him. And to deny yourself is to forget yourself. 
You see, the problem with you and me, I, I'm guessing, I know, I know it is with, with me and a lot of other people, is that what, what we struggle with is running our own life. There was no Burger King commercial years ago. Have it your way at Burger King. Have it your way. See, that's what we want. We, we want to go to a church where we have it our way. And I understand you need to go to a church that, that preaches the Bible and that fits your needs. I understand that. But we're also a little bit narcissistic about some of that. And, and we, we look at God, we look at God as like an extracurricular that we fit in when we can. That's, that's not how it works with him. If any man would come after me, deny himself. You put other things second. Take up his cross daily. I've heard people through the years say, well, my cross is my bad back. Josh, I've literally heard him say, well, it's my wife. My wife, she's a cross. She's probably saying the same thing about him. He's a cross. Your cross is not a bad back or a bad wife or a bad husband. The cross was an instrument of what in Jesus' day? Death, capital punishment. For Jesus to say, take up your cross, he was saying to you and me, take up the electric chair, the lethal uh, injection gunny. I want you to follow me. And he says, I want you to do this. How often? I want you to follow me daily is what Jesus said. I want you to live fearfully with me daily. You want to be a great mom, a great dad, a great husband, a great person? Man, we're drilling down to the simple core of it right here. Man, you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you keep him the Lord of your life. Again, we compartmentalize. I love an old saying, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not really Lord at all. Jesus doesn't want to have a say in your life. Jesus wants to run your life. And that is only for your best. Did you hear me? Jesus doesn't want to say in your life. Jesus wants to lead and run your life. The woman who fears the Lord, that all these wonderful things are said about, is one who has prioritized Jesus above everything, God above everything and anything else. Let me give you a third thought. And man, this is a great thought too, a very important thought. This is the only thing, the only thing that will last. The only thing that's going to last. That's for sure going to last is your relationship with God. Charm is deceptive and beauty doesn't last. But a woman, a person who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Man, charm's great. Being charming, having a good personality is great. But it can be fake, can't it? Being beautiful, it's tough for some of us, but it's great, isn't it? Are y'all even listening? That was a joke for some of you who are comedically challenged. How many of you think it's okay to be pretty? Okay, good. A few of you. You do, whether you agree or not. They, they polled... Young people, 18 to 35, that would be early, late high school through college, the young adults. 75% say they're fat. That's not true. That's just the world we live in, isn't it? If you need to lose a half a pound, you're, I'm overweight. 99% of women in America surveyed recently said if they could change anything about themselves physically, would they? And they said absolutely they would. I don't see anything terribly wrong with that. If I could get some hair plugs, I'd do it. A toupee. 
Nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying is those things are fleeting. They're fleeting. In 1 Timothy 4, if you're taking notes, listen to what God says. He says, physical exercise is of some value. And you go, whoa, of some value? I mean, isn't it a key to looking good and being healthy? It, it, it is. But he goes on and what he, he says, but spiritual discipline, prayer in your Bible, in church, that is eternal. That is what is eternal. Listen, moms, what is going to matter a hundred years from now and a thousand years from now is what you did with God and how you pass that on to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. Man, you teach them to read and dad, you teach them to play sports, you, you teach them to be in good shape, you teach them to be great academically, but when everything is said and done, the only thing that's going to matter a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, is not how well they hit the ball or read the book, and I'm for both of those a hundred percent. The only thing that's going to matter, though, is whether you knew God and they knew God, Period. Period. It's the only thing, man, be pretty, (laughs) be smart, be charming. But man, you fear God and you follow God. That's the only thing that's going to last. And that's the key, the root to everything else. And I want to give you this thought. It's the key to greatness here and forever. Man, everybody wants to be great. No, No kid dreams of being a loser. You don't go to the second grade class and ask the kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I want to be a hobo. I want to live on the street. I hope to do 25 to 30 in San Quentin. Nobody says that. Everybody wants to be great. Listen to what he says in verse 29 about this woman who fears the Lord. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. When this lady who feared God, whose life is shaped by God, he says, you are awesome is what God says. When I, when I became a Christian, I was still, I was kind of at the end of my athletic career in college. But then I was going to be a coach, so I was around a lot of athletes and a lot of people playing ball. And one of the things I was asked a lot was this, will being a Christian make you a better athlete? Now, hear everything I'm fixing to say. You can argue with me after church if you disagree. I think it does a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's not going to make you jump any higher. It's not going to make you any faster because Jesus lives in your heart. It'd be cool if it did, wouldn't it? We'd get everybody saved. (laughs) You can knock three-tenths off your 40 time if you will give your heart to Jesus this morning. But here's how it makes you better. If you really follow Jesus Christ, your attitude is good. You're the best teammate. You're a hard worker. You're a great contributor. You make everybody around you better. Absolutely following Jesus makes you a better athlete. It makes you the best mom, the best dad, the best parent. It makes you the best you can be. Amen? It does. That's where greatness is ultimately found. Look in verse 31. Reward this woman for all she has done. Let her deeds, not her mouth, not her ego, let her deeds, her life, publicly declare her praise. What God's saying is, is when you are this kind of person, you don't have to strut because God's going to shine the light on you. You you see that word praise there in, in the Bible. It means to be made bright 
are to shine. Listen to what God says. God says, man, when you follow me, when you anchor your life in me, when your life is directed by a fear and a love and a submission to God, God's saying, I'll shine the light on you. Isn't that awesome? I'll make you bright. I'll raise you up. We talked about that last week. Humble yourself. I'll raise you up. I'll make you bright. I'll bring glory. I'll bring honor, not only to myself, but to you through you. Man, that's great, isn't it? And it starts with that fear, that fear, and living through that fear and respect of God. How many of you Wednesday night paid attention to the tornado warnings? How many of you have blown those off for years? We were at church. Two months ago, we would have said, ah, it's raining kind of hard. Let's go ahead. No problem. You know what we did? Man, we got people in the library. We got people hunkered down. We covered them with books. We were praying to Jesus. And all the men were standing at the windows looking like this. (laughs) Man, we are dumb, aren't we? We're going to die. We want to see it, right? I mean, that's our... We'll be going up in the funnel going, man, can you believe this? That's why women outlive us too, isn't it? They're in the library and we're looking for the funnels. But here's the difference, buddy. Because of what happened on April 25th, we paid attention. We got in here to church. There were 30 people. Man, I was so proud. I said, these are the most committed. I was taking notes who was here and who wasn't here. And then finally somebody reminded me, they didn't come. They were stuck here. They ain't here because they want to (laughs) be. They were stuck. Here's my fear for me and for you, for many of us. In in two years, that alert will go off on your phone. The weatherman, who, by the way, is accurate 5% of the time. It's a cool job to have, isn't it? They're going to say, hey, there's a tornado warning. Tornado's headed towards Ruston, Simsboro, Grambling. The sirens will go off, but the sirens go off all the time, right? So we'll just ignore it like we normally do. But I, I, I bet, I hope we don't, but, but, but I bet there's some people in Ruston that won't ever ignore them again. Somebody lost a family member. Somebody's house who was destroyed. Somebody was laying in the bed and got up and the, the tree came through and landed on their bed. You know why? Because they were personally affected by that tornado, and they'll never be the same. And see, the reason some of us aren't the moms, the dads, the Christ followers is if we've seen the warnings and we've we've experienced some of the, the effects of God, but we've never really experienced God. Maybe that's not what needs that's what needs to happen this morning. For some of you, a fresh experience. Some of you, a new experience today that you've never had that'll change your life and you'll spend the rest of your life living in a holy, wonderful fear and respect of God that in the end will cause you to be the the brightest shining star you could be. I challenge you to make that choice this morning. Let's pray. This morning, if you're, you're a Christian... My challenge to you, moms and everybody, is come back to God. Live for God with all your heart. That's the origin of the great person.
If you're not a Christian, you're unsure you are, I want to, I now, if you're ready, you pray with me. Give your life to Christ this morning. Just sincerely say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son. And that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment. I want to challenge you, mother or any of you. Maybe you just ask Christ in your life or you're ready to. Come today and give your life to Christ. If you go, man, I can't walk down there in front of everybody. I'll be at this door after church. Other people will be, ministers will be around. Don't leave here today without coming to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church too. You can come and do that when we stand. Listen, you need a home base. You need a church home. You need one that preaches Jesus, that loves you. We would love to be that if God's leading you. Come join us. Today you're a Christian. Maybe today, Mom, you lead the way. Grab your husband. Grab your kids. Come pray at the altar. Come pray with a minister. Dad, you lead the family. You're single. You come today. But man, recommit, reconnect with God afresh this morning. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.